this e-cystic fibrosis review program is presented by DKP Med Radio. However, for those with an F5-weight residual function mutation, given how much superior this treatment is over the existing therapy that they're on, which is tezocaftor and ivacaftor, I would consider changing those patients onto triple therapy as soon as possible. CFTR Triple Therapy. Clinical Opportunities. Welcome to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor. Triple CFTR modulator therapy. Does it work? How well? In which patients? Is it safe? What do the data say and what do the findings mean in practice? That's what we're here to talk about today with our guest, Edward McCone, MD, a full clinical professor at St. Vincent's University Hospital and University College Dublin School of Medicine. For Professor McCone's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, ecfreview.org, and select the Volume 10, Issue 6 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Professor McCone, thank you for joining us today. Very happy to be here, Bob. Triple CFTR modulator therapy. Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, and Ivacaftor, also known by its initials ETI. There's a lot to talk about, so let's begin with our first learning objective. Describe the new evidence supporting the indications for triple therapy with Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, and Ivacaftor in patients with F508-DEL and a gating residual function mutation. Take us to the clinic, if you would please, Dr. McCone, and start us out with a patient scenario. A 26-year-old CF patient with genotype F508-DEL G551-D attender clinic. Lung function is 89% predicted. BMI is 27 kilograms per meter squared, and they have chronic infection with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. They commenced an ivacaftor in February 2013 and has been very stable since. The patients had two exacerbations in the last year, both requiring 14 days of IV antibiotics. The patient wishes to discuss changing from ivacaftor to triple therapy with alexacaftor, tezacaftor, and ivacaftor. This patient with F508-DEL, G551-D, CFTR mutations, what benefits of ivacaftor monotherapy has he been receiving? So ivacaftor monotherapy was first published in the Pivotal Strive clinical trial, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2011. And this was a randomized control trial for 24 weeks of ivacaftor versus placebo in CF patients that had at least one copy of a gating mutation called G551D. What they identified at the end of this trial, at 24 weeks, there was an 11% improvement in lung function measured through FEV1. There was a 55% reduction in exacerbation frequency. And there was an over three kilogram gain in weight in patients who received ivacaftor compared to those who were receiving the placebo. There were also very significant improvements in quality of life. But unlike a lot of other studies that have looked at new therapies in CF, what was very unique about this trial was that there was a very substantial improvement in sweat chloride, which is the test we use to diagnose cystic fibrosis. And patients in this trial who received ivacaftor had a 48 millimole per liter reduction in their sweat chloride, which means that those who had received this treatment had an initial starting sweat chloride of around 100 millimoles per liter, which would be well above the diagnostic criteria for CF, and that this improved to below 60 millimoles with treatment with ivacaftor, which is below the cutoff for the diagnosis of CF. And this was very exciting because this hadn't been seen before. 
There have been additional studies as well looking at other gating mutations that have seen similar effects. And more recently, particularly in 2018, published out of the UK and the US registry, there have been real-world studies showing that these clinical trial benefits are also translating into the real-world clinic where we look after patients with CF. And this has also been verified by a study out of our Irish registry, which was published in 2019, again showing benefits with Ivacafter in the real world, very similar to that seen in the original clinical trials. So the outcome for patients receiving Ivacafter with a gating mutation was a significant improvement in lung function, improvement in quality of life, reduction in exacerbation frequency, and a substantial improvement in sweat chloride. What additional benefits might triple therapy provide for this patient, uh, above and beyond what you just told us about his Ivacafter monotherapy? So for many patients with a gating mutation, they also have an F508-DEL mutation on the other chromosome. Now, we know that Ivacafter monotherapy is not effective in F508-DEL CFTR, but what is a possibility is that F508-DEL in combination with gating mutations, may benefit from the combination of alexacafter, tezacafter, and ivacafter, because we know that alexacafter, tezacafter, and ivacafter are very effective in increasing CFDR activity in those with the f 508 del mutation. In 2021, there was a clinical trial that was carried out and published in the New England Journal of Medicine by Barry et al., And this was an eight-week randomized control trial of triple therapy with ETI versus standard of care in patients with an F508-DEL gating mutation who received Ivacafter and an F508-DEL residual function mutation who received Tezacafter combined with Ivacafter. The results of this trial showed significant benefits in lung function with an improvement of 3.5%, as well as significant improvements in quality of life and also a further improvement in reduction of sweat chloride by 22 millimoles per litre. In a subgroup analysis focusing on gating mutations with an F508-DEL, and I'll talk a little bit about the effects on F508-DEL residual function in a few minutes, but in the results when they focused purely on the group that had an F508-DEL gating mutation, what they found is that there were slightly increased benefits in this group, particularly in lung function, which increased by 5.8%, also significant improvements in quality of life, and a further reduction in sweat chloride of 20 millimoles. These patients were already on Ivacafter therapy, and so their sweat chlorides had already been reduced with this treatment. So the additional minus 20 millimoles per litre change was on top of the effects of Ivacafter. And if we look, for example, at the numbers of patients who had sweat chloride below 30 millimoles per litre, which would be considered to be the cutoff for either normal levels of sweat chloride or that of carriers, what we found was that 16% of people on Ivacafter alone had sweat chlorides below 30 millimoles per litre, and this increased to 65% on triple therapy, which is a very substantial increase in the number of people on treatment with sweat chlorides now in the normal range. Also, what was reassuring about this trial was that the side effect profile was similar to that that had been reported in the original studies of triple therapy in f 508 del homozygotes and in those with an f 508 del minimal function mutation. Your patient asked you about changing from Ivacafter monotherapy to ETI triple therapy. What would you advise them? So this is a question that we get asked very frequently in our clinics. And I suppose the question that I have in my own mind is, do we need three drugs to do what one drug is already doing? So in each case, we have a lengthy discussion about the potential additional benefits of triple therapy. In particular, I look at the patient and how they've been doing on Ivacafter therapy alone. 
Is their lung function stable? What is their baseline lung function level? Do they have evidence of severe, mild or moderate uh, lung disease? How frequently are they having exacerbations? And how do they feel that their quality of life has improved since starting Ivocaftor? And also, how is their nutrition? On occasion, we may even check a sweat chloride to see how they've done on Ivocaftor and how much CFDR activity is present. Our general approach is that for patients who have good lung function, who have been very stable over years with infrequent exacerbations and who are maintaining their weight, we would often consider a more watch and wait conservative approach and continue them on their Ivocaftor with a view towards monitoring them closely and should there be any decline that we may transition them over to triple therapy. What about those patients who are not doing as well on Ivocaftor monotherapy? For patients, though, who have established lung disease that may be exacerbating or may be having difficulty maintaining their nutrition, we would be inclined to change them over to triple therapy. We will often monitor lung function and sweat chloride in advance of starting them on treatment and then check these intermittently when they're on therapy. I think, though, that there's a lot of questions that haven't been answered by these clinical trials that may describe additional benefits associated with triple therapy. For example, the impact that they have on rate of decline, exacerbations, which are very important endpoint in CF trials and also very important to CF patients, was not studied in this trial because it was of short duration. So the impact of triple therapy on exacerbation frequency will be important. And also, of course, there may be additional non-pulmonary benefits that patients may benefit from with triple therapy over Ivocaftor therapy. And I suppose having a discussion with patients about this is critical. And in fact, patient preference is also very important. And I've had patients who are generally quite stable on Ivocaftor alone, but are very keen to move on to triple therapy to get as much CFDR modulation as possible in the hope that this will also keep them stable for longer and maintain their lung function for longer. This is discussed on a case-by-case basis. Patients who are very stable with preserved lung function and reduced exacerbation frequency, we would tend to perhaps have a more conservative approach and hold therapy. For those with more established disease, though, we will usually transition them over to triple therapy and just monitor them closely to make sure they're not developing any new side effects. So deciding whether patients with F508-DEL slash gating mutations should move to triple CFTR modulation, that needs to be determined on a case-by-case basis. But individuals with an F508-DEL slash residual function CFTR genotype, what would be the approach to moving them to triple therapy? So when considering triple therapy for patients with an F508-DEL residual function mutation, there are a number of things that you have to consider. The first is the results of the clinical trial looking at Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, which is the current standard of therapy and the treatment that they're likely to be on before transitioning over to triple therapy. And the results of this trial were published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2017 in a paper by Rowe et al. And these were eight-week crossover study design of Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor versus Ivacaftor alone versus placebo in patients with an F508-DEL residual function mutation. What this trial showed was that at eight weeks, the biggest effects were seen in those receiving Tezacaftor and Ivacaftor, and they had a 6.8% improvement in lung function. They had significant improvements in quality of life, and they also had a 9.5 millimole change in sweat chloride. These patients had residual function mutations, so their sweat chlorides were actually a little bit lower than that in the gating mutation trials, generally around 70 millimoles. So these reduced from 70 millimoles down to around 60 millimoles. 
So I suppose what's important to see, and perhaps to compare the results of this trial with that of Ivacaftor alone in gating mutations, is that the impact on lung function wasn't as great as seen with Ivacaftor alone in gating mutations, and likewise the impact of sweat chloride wasn't as great as that seen with Ivacaftor in gating mutations. And although this therapy is an effective treatment that people with F508-DEL residual function mutations are benefiting from, clearly there is a role for additional CFTR modulation. So with that in mind, when a patient asks you about transitioning over to triple therapy, we need to look at the results of the Barry et al. paper, and particularly the subgroup that were f 5 del residual function. And it's important to note that two-thirds of the patients in that trial were f 5 del residual function patients. And what they identified was that there was actually quite a modest improvement in lung function of around 2%. However, this did translate into quite a substantial improvement in quality of life for these patients. Also, there was a substantial decrease in sweat chloride by minus 25 millimoles per liter, which again would have brought a lot of these patients down below that threshold for having a normal sweat chloride. Um, about 18% had sweat chlorides below 30% before starting ETI, and this increased to 42% that had sweat chlorides in the normal range on ETI. So I suppose when counseling somebody with an f 5 del residual function mutation, and in particular looking at the treatment that they're on versus moving on to triple therapy, I think that it's clear that there's significantly more CFTR modulation that takes place with this treatment. Now, it doesn't translate necessarily into large changes in lung function, but it does translate into large changes in quality of life. And I think that Given the reduction in sweat chloride that takes place, the improvement in quality of life, even in the setting of modest changes in lung function, I think that in most cases, we would be moving our patients from tezacaftor ivacaftor therapy onto triple therapy for that additional CFTR modulation effect. Thank you for discussing this case with us today, Professor McCone. Let's review what we've been talking about as it applies to our learning objective. Describe the new evidence supporting the indications for triple therapy with alexacaftor, tezacaftor, and ivacaftor, or ETI, in patients with F508-DEL and a gating or residual function mutation. What are the key things our listeners should take away from our discussion? I think that the results of the clinical trial by Barry et al. published in 2021 shows that triple therapy increases CFTR modulation, resulting in clinical benefits for people with an F508-DEL gating mutation and an F508-DEL residual function mutation. What's interesting is that these effects do seem to differ by CFTR genotype group, with a greater increase in lung function seen in those with the F508-DEL gating mutation. However, both groups, ETI resulted in significant improvement in quality of life and also significant reductions in sweat chloride, and in many cases resulting in sweat chloride levels that were in the normal range. I think that in patients who are on Ivacaftor with F508-DEL and gating mutation, if they're doing very well, they may be in a position to wait and see and initiate triple therapy if they are running into problems. However, for those with an F508-DEL residual function mutation, given how much superior this treatment is over the existing therapy that they're on, which is tezacaftor and ivacaftor, I would consider changing those patients onto triple therapy as soon as possible. Of course, you need to discuss the risks and benefits of these treatments with each patient, and likely patient preferences are also going to be important. The clinical trials showed different responses to treatment depending on which genotype group you're in, and so you may need to have a different conversation with CF patients depending on what genotype they have. 
For example, patients with F5OHL gating mutations who are doing very well on Ivacaftor may be happy to stay on Ivacaftor, where those with F5OHL residual function mutations, given that Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor has fairly modest CFTR activation and that triple therapy is substantially more effective as a CFTR modulator, they may be more keen to move on to that triple therapy. Very nice summation. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Professor Edward McCone, MD, from the University College Dublin School of Medicine in just a moment. We're taking this brief time out to remind you about the CF Education Resource Center. Do you need to plan a live or online CF Family Day or CF Educational Day? The best way to get started is at the CF Education Resource Center. It's the place to go to find everything you need to make your CF Family Day a success. It's got tools to help you assess your community's needs. It's got scripts and PowerPoint slides recently updated and including Spanish translations and video tips and a guest speaker list. You can create your own curriculum or simply share the education with your patients or caregivers. The CF Education Resource Center. Connect at cffd.dkbmed.com. Welcome back to this eCystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Our guest is Professor Edward McCone, MD, from St. Vincent's University Hospital and University College Dublin School of Medicine. We've been talking about the new evidence supporting the indications for triple therapy with Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, and again, that's ETI, in patients with F508-DEL and a gating or residual function mutation. I'd like to turn now to our second learning objective. Discuss how to advise patients who are on triple therapy with Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, and Ivacaftor and who become pregnant and plan to breastfeed. With that focus in mind, if you would please, Professor McCone, take us back to the clinic with another patient scenario. So a 24-year-old CF woman with a genotype F5-weight-DEL homozygous, baseline lung function of 65% predicted and a BMI of 22 kilograms per meter squared, commenced ETI one year ago with significant improvements in lung function with a pre-ETI FEV1 of 45% predicted and exacerbation frequency of two to three exacerbation per year, but none since starting uh, ETI. And she attends her CF unit with nausea and reduced bowel habit. As part of her assessment, her beta-HCG is positive and she's diagnosed as being pregnant at 12 weeks, which is confirmed on ultrasound. Patient wants advice on whether to continue ETI. Prior to the availability of ETI, how were patients with CF counseled about their use of CFTR modulation during pregnancy? So prior to triple therapy, there wasn't really a huge amount of experience with pregnancy on CFTR modulators. And it's fair to say that there's been a substantial increase in the number of pregnancies in CF patients since the introduction of triple therapy. But in patients who were receiving CFTR modulation prior to triple therapy, when a pregnancy was diagnosed, we used to have a detailed conversation about the potential risks and benefits of remaining on modulator therapy during pregnancy. I suppose what was important was that there was not very much data on the safety of Ivacaftor or Tezacaftor Ivacaftor during pregnancies. However, to date, there hadn't really been any signs of any concerning signals in pregnancies in patients who had been on CFTR modulation. But with each patient, we would look at their lung function, their weight, and their exacerbation. We would look at it both before and after commencing CFTR modulation. In patients that had well-preserved lung function, good nutrition, and had infrequent exacerbations, 
prior to initiation of modulator therapy, in those cases, we would have encouraged them perhaps to take a break from their modulation and come off modulators. For patients, though, that have reduced lung function or have had difficulty maintaining weight or have had exacerbations, those patients would generally, we would encourage to remain on TFTR modulation during pregnancy, and we would monitor them very closely to make sure that there was no signs of any adverse events. In many cases, patient preference is also an important factor, and we found that a lot of times patients were very reluctant to stop their modulators just because of the impact it had on nutrition, on lung function, and on exacerbation frequency. And that made them feel a lot better, and also uh, we felt that that would benefit them during their pregnancy. Since the introduction of triple therapy, Professor, what's changed? So a a number of things have changed since the introduction of triple therapy. I suppose the first thing is that there's been a significant increase in the number of pregnancies in people with CF throughout the world. Recently in the U.S. registry, they reported almost a doubling of the number of pregnancies in the last few years since the introduction of triple therapy. And there's a few reasons that have been hypothesized for this. Firstly, there may be direct effect uh, of CFDR correctors on cervical mucus and ciliary function in the fallopian tubes that may improve fertility in people with cystic fibrosis. In addition, there's also been improved nutrition and reduction of infections, which is also likely to also have an impact on pregnancy. And finally, there's also an improved sense of well-being and the anticipated likely impact of ETI on long-term prognosis has also resulted in a lot of people with CF deciding that it may be time to start a family. So the other thing that is important when looking at a patient who's pregnant with CF is the benefits that they've received on ETI, because ETI is a highly effective CF2R modulator, and the result that a lot of patients who go on this treatment have significant improvements in lung function, exacerbation rates, and nutrition. And these three factors are also very important in ensuring that they have a low-risk pregnancy. So the risk of stopping treatment is potentially a concern because if you lose these benefits, it may have a negative impact on pregnancy. So one of the key questions has been that we need a little bit more information on the safety and efficacy of triple therapy in patients with CF who are pregnant and remain on treatment. The data from the previous generations of modulators has been reassuring, but as noted, there are a lot more pregnancies now, and also Alexacaptor is a new drug, and so we need to ensure that this is safe during pregnancy, and we need more information on that. Clarify for us, if you would, please, your advice to a woman who's currently on triple therapy and is thinking about starting a family. What would you tell her? As I noted before, there's a need for additional information regarding the safety and efficacy of triple therapy during pregnancy and in mothers who breastfeed. A recent paper published in JCF in 2021 by Taylor Kuzer et al. surveyed the U.S. CF centers and asked them their experience of pregnancies in patients who were receiving triple therapy. And they reported that in 45 ETI-exposed pregnancy, of which 40 had completed pregnancy at the time of the report, there were very few cases of complications that were felt to be related to ETI. And in fact, there were only three that either were felt to be unknown or possibly ETI-related. And that in general, ETI or triple therapy appeared to be safe during pregnancy, but they admit that more data is currently needed. And in fact, there's a large study underway called the Mayflower Study in the U.S., which is recruiting people who are pregnant on triple therapy and going to be monitoring for maternal and fetal outcomes in this patient group. I think what was interesting about that study as well was that six of the patients that were on triple therapy at a time when they were found to be pregnant 
decided to stop ETI because of the unknown risks. And of those, five deteriorated with reductions in lung function, increases in symptoms, and in fact, one ended up having quite a significant exacerbation. Final question, Professor, and it brings us directly back to the patient you presented. She wants to know if she should stay on ETI now that she's become pregnant. What do you tell her? Well, of course, it needs to be discussed on a case-by-case basis and needs to acknowledge that there's limited data available on how safe these drugs are during pregnancy and in breastfed babies. However, so far, they do appear to be safe and studies are ongoing to collect a little bit more safety information. I suppose I would view that the benefits of ETI on improved nutrition, lung function, and exacerbations really seem to outweigh the risks of triple therapy in pregnancy. And of course, depending on how the patient has responded, this will influence the decision about whether they should come off triple therapy. However, it should be noted that in patients who do come off triple therapy, that there is a risk that they may decline with a drop in lung function or possibly develop an exacerbation, as was reported in the paper in JCF. In addition, there may be risks to the fetus, such as cataracts or normal liver function tests, but really the risk of these is likely to be low. However, it's not really fully known and safety studies are currently underway. The recommendation for mothers who have taken triple therapy during a pregnancy is that it may be worthwhile to have their newborn child tested or examined for possible cataracts or liver function tests, or ideally enroll in studies such as the Mayflowers to give contribute information for other patients regarding the safety and efficacy of these drugs during pregnancy. Thank you, Professor McCone, for bringing us this case and sharing your insights with us. Our learning objective is discuss how to advise patients who are on triple therapy with ETI and become pregnant and plan to breastfeed. What are the most important points you'd want our listeners to keep in mind? The key message is that data from previous modulators and triple therapy to date suggests the CFTR modulation is likely to be safe in pregnancy and in breastfeeding infants. Of course, the data is limited and larger studies are ongoing using CF registries and also the Mayflower study run in the U.S. by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I think it will need to be discussed on a case-by-case basis, but certainly patients who are benefiting from ETI with improvements in lung function and weight gain, in these cases, the benefits may outweigh the risk as these are important in ensuring good pregnancy outcomes in cystic fibrosis. So it's important also that reducing exacerbations of triple therapy may reduce the risk to the mother through exposure to antibiotics that can be harmful to developing child. Also, they should be counseled that should they decide to stop ETI, that there may be a period of deterioration with a drop in lung function, increasing symptoms, or possibly even an exacerbation. It might also be worthwhile to counsel a mother that's screening her newborn who's been exposed in utero to ETI for cataracts or abnormal liver function tests may be of benefit, and this should be something to discuss with their obstetrician. But again, the risks and benefits need to be discussed with each pregnant mother on a case-by-case basis to ensure that they get the best outcome during pregnancy and that either way they will require very close supervision. From St. Vincent's University Hospital and University College Dublin School of Medicine, Professor Edward McCone, MD, thank you for joining us for this East Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Thank you, Bob. It's been my pleasure. For East Cystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ecf.dkbmed.com. 
East Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated and GECUSA, Inc. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC.